It's Thursday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there and a good show coming up here today. Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk Gopher men's basketball. They play at Michigan tonight. Um, Opportunity to kind of jumpstart their conference season. They're one and one in conference play. They had the kind of those two games against Ohio State and Nebraska about a month ago or so, but now we get into the bulk of Big Ten play. The Gophers have had a fairly successful non-conference year. I don't think they have a signature win yet, which I'll talk with, with Marcus about. Beaten up on a lot of teams that are less than they are. Um, their non-conference schedule, I believe, their non-conference strength of schedule is last in the in all of college basketball. So we have to take their ten and three record and put it in that kind of perspective. But you also have to like what you've seen from some of what they've done so far this year. So an opportunity right now at Michigan. Um, then they come home a few days later to play Maryland. Some some opportunities here early against teams that are, you know competitive but not probably not the upper echelon of the Big Ten right now and what what does that mean for the potential for this season Marcus and I will get into a lot of that here in just a little bit got an interesting Justin Jefferson quote to play from Wednesday's media session out in Egan I was out there just to uh, for to record a new Axis Vikings podcast we got into the Jefferson stuff some on that show as well but I want to play the quote for you and uh, let you let you kind of parse what you maybe think uh, he's getting at, and uh, as it pertains to the quarterback situation with the Vikings going forward, um, Minnesota's franchise in the PWHL played its first game one at Boston last night. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, some go for women's basketball stuff at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Let's start with the Timberwolves. Here's an interesting thing right now, you guys. This is a franchise that has played. This is their 35th year, I believe, 35 years of Timberwolves basketball. A lot of it not so great. Um, went back and looked. 11 of those 35 seasons, the Timberwolves won 23 games or fewer in the entire season. About one-third of their seasons in history, they've won um 24 24 or fewer games in those in those seasons 24 or fewer games now there's an asterisk in in this in that uh, a couple of those years were covid years so the seasons were a little shorter they were 19 and 45 one year they were 23 and 49 one year so not quite a full season but point being about a third of the years 11 12 11 or 12 of those years they won 24 games or fewer right now they have 24 wins through 33 games of the season they're 24 and 9 after losing last night um to new orleans not looking great doing it new orleans took it to them beat them pretty easily at target center to kind of had that energy from the beginning like uh oh this is not going to be this is not going to be easy at the very least and they're they're in trouble in this game it's their first two-game losing streak of the entire season they just lost to the knicks a couple days ago and now losing to the pelicans 24 and 9 Seven and five now during this stretch of games that was going to test them against better opponents. Um, 16 in a row they had, 11 of them on the road against teams with winning records. That is a gauntlet. That is a tough stretch. Seven and five during that stretch feels good. Now they've caught some teams at good times during there. They've had some games where, you know, the, their opponent didn't have their, their full strength, but seven and five is seven and five. So you look at it as a whole and you say, okay, they're, they're, 
you you couldn't have scripted this season much better still from where you thought it could go from where you thought it could go but right now in this moment i feel like they are kind of buckling a little bit and feeling at the very least the burden of expectation which has not been placed upon this franchise very much in the course of their history when they're losing way more than they're winning when they're having seasons a third of their seasons like i said that didn't even end up with as many wins as they have right now not even at the halfway point of this season not even close really to the halfway point of the season you got like you know almost 10 games left before the halfway point of this season they've already got 24 wins they're feeling the burden of expectation right now they're feeling what it's like to raise expectations when people say okay this is a team i believe in when you even have a little a little dip. Now I think they haven't been playing all that well for the past, you know, handful of games. And I want to play. I want to. I want to. I'm going to read a Chris Finch quote here in just a second that kind of gets to that. I don't think they've been playing all that great lately, but they've still been winning a lot of these games. Now they, but now they've got now they've got this two game losing streak. Their first two game losing streak of the entire season, and there's a lot of sky is falling on social media, and that's that's to be expected. I asked last night, I didn't watch all of last night's game, I only saw maybe a quarter, quarter and a half of it, and I asked, you know, basically, is this just a blip, or is something broken right now with this team? And I got a lot of people saying a little bit of both. Some people saying sky is falling, Chris Finch can't coach, which I don't believe. Chris Finch is a good coach. Um, you know, the offense looks stagnant. I do believe that. So people can identify what doesn't look right with this team, but that's a little bit different, I think, than this team is not any good anymore. Finch, uh, Chris Finch, head coach, said last night, there's going to be a lot of waves and adversity. Um, there's adversity in this game. There's adversity in the season. This is just another one, and we've got to fix it. We haven't played with a lot of pop and purpose since Sacramento. We haven't been very sharp. I'm glad he's acknowledging that. I think that's that's a good way to put it. That's that, that Sacramento game was six games ago. They won that game against one of the better teams in the in the uh, Western Conference and in the NBA this year. Since then, you're right. He's right, and other people are right. They haven't looked as good. They haven't looked as crisp. The ball movement hasn't been as good. The defense has been a little bit um, under under siege a little bit more. Teams figuring them out a little bit more. New Orleans certainly did. Uh, Zion Williamson, a very good game last night. They're starting to get figured out a little bit, but you also have to look at this, look at this and say, man, it's an 82 game season. You're not going to be sharp for 82 games if you if you happen to string a bunch of those games, or at least like more often than not, if you don't play your best for a handful of games, people are going to notice that doesn't necessarily mean that this is going the wrong direction. I'm, I'm a little concerned right now. I don't like what I've seen in a lot of these games lately. I think that it's also telling that they're basically at full strength or as close to full strength as they've been this season right now, and still some of this is happening. I think Ant has been a little bit selfish with the ball, trying to do a little bit too much lately. The ball is getting, like they call it, like they like to say, sticky on offense, and it's just not flowing. It's it's stopping when it gets to Ant, when it gets to Towns. Those guys looking to get theirs. Gobert only had like four shot attempts last night. That, that shouldn't happen. He's not a great shooter, but he should be involved in the offense. They should be getting him those easy looks. So some things for them to clean up. I'm, I'm not anywhere close to panic mode. They've built up enough of that equity so far this season with how they've played. This, I think we can treat this as a lull at this point until further evidence presents itself. But I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm just a little concerned right now. Not as much as some of you, but I'm, I'm a little concerned watching to see where this goes, seeing if it's a lull or something more than that. And, uh, you know, they... 
the good news for them, I guess, is that after the next four games, they got to get through this next four games, and the schedule eases off considerably. They can start kind of feeling good about themselves, kind of have some of those nights where they don't necessarily have to be at their best, or if they are at their best, they're going to blow teams out, be able to rest guys a little bit, things like that. I think they need a little bit of that release valve, and they haven't had it lately. It's coming pretty soon. They've just got to get through the rest of this, find their game again, and start playing the way they were playing at the beginning of the year when they were building up all of this goodwill that people are now worried about. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk Gopher men's basketball today with Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune. He joins me ahead of Thursday night's uh, Gopher game at Michigan. It's not the Big Ten opener. They started doing this weird thing, Marcus. I still can't get my arms around it where they play a couple early December games in in the Big Ten. But this always, once you get past the new year, it feels like we're, this is really the official start of the conference season. They're one and one in Big Ten play. At Michigan, a lot to like about what they did during the non-conference season, but also, I think, still question marks, right? Because they didn't play a very daunting schedule. They don't have a signature win, I would say, yet, uh, at least, you know, unless we count that Nebraska game, which I don't think I do yet. Uh, A chance to prove themselves here against Michigan and a chance to kind of see where they stand after, you know, feeling good about themselves for for a lot of how they've played in the non-conference. Yeah, happy new year to you. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast for the first time in 2024. Yes. Appreciate it. And, it, yes, and it's, it's, it's on the it's on a positive note right now. So I'm it is rare. That's rare. Start. That's rare yeah. for this podcast uh, with with you on. Unfortunately, because this podcast is only about three years old, and there's not been yep. Marcus a lot of good news for Gopher basketball. I would say span. 2023 was mostly uh, frustrating for yes. Gopher basketball fans, and um, on this podcast, listening. Yes. But 2024 has a lot of optimism. I mean, you're, you're a harsh critic and you're saying you're not counting Nebraska, which is uh, that's pretty. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> not a, it's not they... a, it's a good win. It's not a signature win. Nebraska is not a signature win. No, it's a good, no, it's a good right. win, though. It's a good win. It's, it's a good, yeah, it's it's uh, not, you know, if, if you have the net rankings, which the, the NCAA uh, committee uh, uses to, to, you know, to judge or evaluate the tournament, um, it's not a quad one win, which is the yeah. best win that you could get. At the time, Nebraska was seven and one, and their only loss was to Creighton. Um, they were pretty hot. Um, I would still consider Nebraska a much improved team this year, sure. and one capable of. I mean, they beat Michigan State already, okay, um, and they also beat Kansas State. So I, I like them to uh, make a jump similar uh, to where you're seeing the Gophers. And maybe not being that last place team in the Big Ten, yeah. So it was, you know, it was a win that they needed to have because yes. at that point, you know, you had lost to Ohio State and San Francisco and mm-hmm. Missouri, which were the three worst teams. I'm sorry, the three best teams that they had played to that point, they had lost. So you know, ever since those three losses, they've gone five straight wins going into uh, the rest of conference play. Um, you had mentioned that this team, um, you know, in those wins, maybe against uh, lesser uh, opponents, uh, had looked very, very good. 
um, you know, that, that's that kind of what they're doing this year. You know, uh, I wrote that in my four things that you mentioned uh, as the last thing that I have uh, online right now about them uh, handling their business this year. I mean, they, they last year, their average margin of victory uh, playing those non-Power 5 teams in non-conference play was, I believe, nine points a game. Yep. This year, 22 points a game margin of victory against those lesser teams. Um, obviously they lost to San Francisco on the road, but those, those opponents that they played at home from, from non-power conferences, they've beaten pretty handily. And, you know, some of those teams, uh, were not necessarily, uh, you know, favored to win their conferences, but they were decent teams. And, uh, you know, in this day and age in college basketball with the transfer portal and COVID years, you have teams, uh, with fifth, sixth year seniors, very experienced players. Um, you know, and, and and they've they've had some upsets this year um in the Big Ten. You know, Michigan just lost to McNeese State. Yeah. Um and Long Beach and they, they lost to Long Beach State earlier in the year at home. So, you know, you can't take for granted winning those games and they look well doing it. And then they they've won them convincingly. Yeah, and it, you can't take anything away from them. They're ten and three right now, and you only can play what you've set out to play on your schedule, I think. You're right. The The margin of victory is important in this case because it does show you that they're they're putting teams away and they probably just they just have more depth. Right. I mean, they've had a few little injuries. I mean, the most significant one being Dawson Garcia out for a few games. Seems like they're pretty much full strength or at least as close to it as they could be for this Michigan game. And you don't you don't win games by 20 plus points without having you know, a bunch of different people who can score on a given night. And I think that's what they've probably lacked in recent years. They could have one or two guys who would, who are capable of going off, but if they had bad nights, they were going to lose by a lot. So you, you look at guys like Elijah Hawkins, you got to look at guys like Mike Mitchell, those guys, you know, coming in and making immediate contributions, um, not just, you know, scoring, but playmaking and, you know, defensively, it seems like they've, they've found a rhythm. So a, a lot to like, how, how do you see their identity emerging at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, part of what they did well uh, when Garcia was out um, was that they relied more on their backcourt um, than they had before. Um, you know, you still had a presence like Pharrell Payne. Joshua Joseph uh, led them in scoring for a couple games without Garcia. But for the most part, especially recently, I mean, you've seen this backcourt take a, a, a really a big step forward. Um, you know, Hawkins, you know, broke the assist record. I think, I don't know if we talked about it the last time I was on this We did, podcast. yeah. I think that was right after yeah. that, yeah. Right, right. The 17 assists. And, you know, I mean, you can say this is against, you know, uh, IUPU who, but, you know, the fact that the matter of you, you set that record without your leading score on the team, it says a lot about what this team is capable of uh, offensively. And, you know, Cam Christie's another one where, you know, he's, um, he's leading all big 10 freshmen in scoring. Um, Mike Mitchell, you already talked about him. Um, I think he's got five straight double figure games and he's led them in scoring the last two games, um, shooting a very high percentage from three, um, during that stretch. Um, so I think this is a team that has a lot of options outside of Dawson, I think that they've played uh, up-tempo more than they have uh, in, in a long time. Maybe, I think, probably early in Richard Patino's tenure mm -hmm. is the last time I've seen them play this fast-paced 
And, you know, with that comes a lot of turnovers, which they had earlier in the year, but they've cut a lot, a lot of down on those turnovers. A large part is the decision-making uh, improvement of Hawkins. Um, I believe that during the last four games, um, he has 58 assists with only seven turnovers. Wow. That's and that, what that comes out to is about 11 assists per game with only two turnovers per game. Mm-hmm. And in, in that 17 assist game, he only had one turnover. So, right. you know, when you have a guy that is dishing the ball at that high a level without the mistakes, you know, that's going to just create so much opportunity, so many opportunities for your offense and for different players um, that, you know, if this translates into the Big Ten, even half of what he's doing against lesser competition, um, this is going to be a much improved team from last year. I think the the biggest question mark would be how this team, uh, you know, incorporates Dawson back into the fold with the way they were playing without him, you know, relying more on the backcourt. You know, do they stand around and try to get the ball inside to Dawson? Because I don't don't think that's the formula for winning at a consistent level in the Big Ten. And case in point would be the loss they had at Ohio State where Dawson had, you know, his career-high 36 points, 28 in the second half. You know, and they were down 22 points at, at one point. Did make it a close game in the second half, but they still lost at Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, and they're going to get they're going to get tested in in ways that they haven't been consistently tested yet. This Michigan game is interesting opportunity, I think, because Michigan that's a name brand program, obviously, but you know, a team that's six and seven, like you said, they're coming off of recent loss to. McNeese State, which you know is is a is one of those non power five teams now probably a a better one than a lot of the teams the Gophers have faced this year, but still a fairly yeah, you know, ten win team, 10 a, win vul- team yeah. a vulnerable Michigan team though to a certain degree like not not you know a bottom of conference team but a, a game where you look at it and you say okay the, the, this isn't the Gophers going into play um, a national title contender or you know a bona fide you know expected to win the Big Ten kind of team this is a, a Gopher team coming in with at least an opportunity. And I'm, I'm really curious to see kind of where, you know, we're not going to define the season by this one game, but I'm, I'm curious to see what, what we see from them in this game. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're saying like, what, what is a successful season, right? Uh, Coming off nine wins last year, what does a successful season look like? Well, when you, when you say that this team is deeper, this more talented, and then you're expecting them to what double last year's wins, then you lose to Missouri, San Francisco, and Ohio State. You know, Missouri and San Francisco, you you know, those are games you maybe expect to win um, for, for a Big Ten team. That Ohio State game, um, you know, was a was a game where they won last year, you know, and they uh, but it was a it was a this is a better Ohio State team. So now you continue to say, okay, what is this team? What's the ceiling for this team? You know, we're not talking about NCAA tournament. You know, maybe we're not even talking about postseason yet, but, you know, can can they finish with a winning record this year? Right now, they're 10 and 3. You know, they have to win some of these games that you're capable of winning or you're supposed to win. Uh, I wouldn't say supposed to win. Like you said, the, 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 the teams like Michigan that are vulnerable, this is a game that if you want to finish with a winning record this year, not maybe necessarily in Big Ten play, but overall, which would be a big improvement from last year, you need to win on the road at least, you know, once or twice in conference season. And this is a game that they'll circle as, okay, we have we have a chance to win this game. You know, they two years ago or three years ago, 
uh, Ben Johnson's first Big Ten win was at Michigan. Mm-hmm. And it was a real surprise. You know, I mean, yeah. at that point, this is your first year and, and he's got a roster that's completely overhauled. Um, and they beat Michigan, probably a better Michigan team than the one here. Um, but, you know, that really made people think differently about what that team could accomplish. Now, they ended up finishing pretty poorly in the rest of the conference season. But I think you have to have one of those wins where, okay, this is something that we can, you know, put on our resume and say, okay, this is the ceiling for our team. And, you know, Michigan 6-7. and seven, but, you know, they haven't won many times in Ann Arbor the first time since 2011 when they won there a few years ago. And I, I think that that would, would go a long way um, to adding to their resume. And you turn around and you play a Maryland team at home on Sunday right. who is also vulnerable. So if, you, if you're saying that, you know, this is a team that won nine games last year, and then if you win these two games and you're three and one to start Big Ten play, I think that would go a long way to change the perception about Ben Johnson's program right now. Absolutely. But that said, I mean, the Big Ten is a jump in competition by, you know, a couple notches, I would think, in most cases. What what to you is the difference between, you know, aside from just the caliber of recruits, but whether it's style of play, whether it's just overall kind of number of good players, what stands out to you when you see a Big Ten team versus a lot of these teams the Gophers have been playing and, and can, you know, along with that, what will be the challenges the Gophers now face going against better competition in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at box scores and you say, oh, this team lost to like a mid-major team, you know, it's not always just about talent. It's not always about size and athleticism. And that's what you're going to see when you play against high-major competition. You know, when you have transfers like an Elijah Hawkins and Mike Mitchell, who came from mid the mid-major level. Yeah. You know, Mike Mitchell is six foot two, um, you know, 180 pounds. Um, and he's gonna be playing against a guard that's three inches taller and 20 yeah. pounds heavier in the in 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 the Big Ten and at the high major level. You know, Elijah Hawkins is five eleven, you know, maybe a little bit under that, and he's 160 pounds. Well, you know, there's gonna be guards three, four, five inches taller than him at the high major level and, and, and better athletes. So the size difference is the biggest challenge that I, I think the guards are going to, um, you know, be, be, be a challenge more, more than anybody. And you saw that when they played Ohio state, you know, when they played even San Francisco it was a much bigger backcourt than you'll see for most mid-major teams. And then when they played Missouri um, and then that, that's a, that poses a challenge defensively. Now the Gophers are getting Braden Carrington back from yep. uh, his leave of absence for mental health. I know we talked a little bit about that the last time on the podcast, but you know, he's a guard that's a little bit bigger, you know, uh, weight wise, he's a little taller and he's one of their, you know, if not their best defender that will help them, uh, in the big 10. Um, but you know, we're going to have to see a lot more growth across the board you know, from guys that have already played um, last year, uh, like a Pharrell Payne, um, Joshua Joseph, um, Dawson, and and Carrington um, from from the way that they uh, competed in the Big Ten last year. From a talent standpoint, it sure seems like Cam Christie is a bit of an X factor. He's been good so far this year. It seems like he's ascending at the right time, kind of getting better as his freshman season goes along. What do you, what do you, what's the ceiling on his freshman season? Do you think? Well, I mean, if, if, if you, if I told you coming into the season that he was going to lead all big 10 freshmen in scoring, you'd say, Oh, you know, uh, that's, that's a 
pretty high ceiling right there. That's sure. probably better than I expected. But um, you know, you have to you have to take that in context. Um, a lot of the higher profile freshmen in the Big Ten this year just have not been performing uh to their level of expectation. Um, and so he's been a big surprise because you know, maybe he didn't think he was going to average double figures or, you know, close to 12 points a game um, through non-conference play. Um, but he's had some really big games. And then he's been relied on more with Braden Carrington out, with Dawson Garcia out. Um, they've given him more playing time, more shots. And his confidence has really, um, I would say, you know, probably improved, um, you know, uh, with his role on the team. You know, I, I don't think he's he's taken a backseat to anyone. Uh, even though that Mike Mitchell and Elijah Hawkins are, are, I would say, a lot more experienced. Now, Cam, I think, has the highest ceiling, and I think in, many would agree, of any guard on this team, maybe any player on this team, because yeah. of his pedigree, his brother's in the NBA playing with the Lakers, and he's already taller than his brother, and and his shot, I and mean, his, his three-point shooting um, is, is, is just as, as talented as Max Christie's, his brother was when he was at Michigan state as a freshman. I think the biggest adjustment for him will be, you know, now that he's in big 10 play, you know, how, do, how does he impact the game on more than just shooting the three, you know, um, how does he impact the game at the basket? You know, can he finish at the basket? Can he penetrate? Can he, uh, hold his own defensively is one area where they're they're asking a lot more from him because as his minutes increase and his role increases he's going to be put in these situations where you know if you don't defend if you're not getting to the basket when they take away your outside shot you know he, he can't afford to to vanish because they need him and uh, it'll start tonight versus Michigan last thing on on that and then maybe a final thought on the Big Ten but you know we've we've fixated so much I did at least, and a lot of people did on Dennis Evans and that whole saga last year, and, and Cam Christie. Oh, are we still we, talking about Dennis no, Evans? <laughs> uh, no, just I'm I'm just using it in context to talk about Cam Christie sure. and maybe how was he was he just was that an underrated recruiting coup for Ben Johnson to get a player like that? You know, his brother played at Michigan State, who probably had some some pretty good offers. Who's a four star? Like, how did Ben Johnson get him? And did did we not properly value that at the time because we were a little bit too worried about losing? Dennis Evans. Well, first of all, they made it pretty clear that Cam Christie was the number one target in that 2023 class um, pretty early. You know, I, I, a lot of people were, um, you know, talking about them recruiting Dennis Evans. Yeah. But, you know, he was in California. Not a lot of people have seen him. You know, their rankings that had him from, you know, being in the top 20 to being low top 100 below Cam Christie. So, I don't think people really realize how good of a recruit Dennis Evans was until they really had a shot at him. You know, he visited and then he he committed. But Christie's always been there. I mean, they, uh, we've been talking a lot about Christie since the summer when the Gophers were really recruiting him uh, more than anyone in that class. You know, definitely more than anyone in Minnesota. And, you know, we're talking about Tayson Chapman who's going to Ohio State. You know, they really stopped recruiting him because they they knew that Camp Christie, they had a shot at him. and he was very, very highly thought of in Illinois. I mean, he didn't win Mr. Basketball. Uh, that went to, I believe, a, a Jeremy Fears that plays for Michigan State. Um, but Christie was, uh, a lot of people thought, was the number one player in, in Illinois, um, you know, because of the uh, the history of his brother 
um, you know, at Michigan State and obviously the NBA. Um, everyone expected him to possibly make a huge impact on any team that he played for as a freshman. So, um, you know, again, when you have a player like Cam, he could have easily gone to, you know, any of the, the home state schools, Northwestern Illinois, but also he could have followed his brother to Michigan State. He didn't have any blue blood offers, but there are a lot of programs toward the end, you know, like we've seen in, in football right? where, you know, you got a guy committed and then you're saying, Oh, do you really want to play for Minnesota? You know? Right. Um, but they, they couldn't prime away because he was very committed to the Gophers. Not, not only, you know, that he wanted to help turn the program around from where they were last year, but you know, there's something to be said about a team that really, really wants you and needs you. Yeah, and um, you know they put all their eggs in in one basket when it was coming to recruiting Cam at you know as far as the guards. I mean they, you know they lost a lot of guards in the last two years. Um, they ended up losing their starting point guard last year, and you know before they landed anyone in the transfer portal. When I'm talking about Hawkins and mm-hmm. and, and Mitchell, uh, they knew that they had their guard of the future in Cam Christie. And at one point, you know, they were expecting him to possibly be their starting point guard. Hmm. You know, he didn't play a lot of point guard, um, you know, all four years, but he did play more his senior year trying to prepare, you know, just in case if he was going to be the guy to have to lead this team in the backcourt. And I think it, it helps him to have two players that are capable of of carrying the load in the backcourt as he develops. Final thought, maybe Big Ten wide. Um, you know, we talked some about Michigan, obviously, already, and a little bit about Nebraska and some of these other teams. But how do you, how do you scope out the league strength-wise so far from what we've seen in, in mostly non-conference play? Pretty easy, Mike. It's Purdue and everyone else. Yeah, that's what it seems like to you me know, too. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't. You know, I wouldn't say it was exactly like that last year. You know, I think there were a few other teams at the top that, even though Purdue, you know, pretty much ran away with the league title. Um, you know, they, they did lose some games, you know, down the stretch in February and March, because I think, you know, they probably were thinking, ah, you know, we're not really looking at, we're going to win this thing, you know, but we're, we're looking ahead to, you know, number one seed and all that. I think right now Purdue, you know, even though they lost to Northwestern, um, I don't see a team challenging them for the title, but after that, there's a, big, big, huge drop-off in who's the second-best team in the league. You know, is it Ohio yeah. State? Is it Illinois? You know, Michigan State still has the talent. You know, Wisconsin has the depth, but, you know, obviously it's Wisconsin, and, you know, sometimes they, they play a style that really <laughs> keeps them from, I mean, you know, has them uh, barely beating a, a team at, in the lower portion of the Big Ten. So I think that there's a chance the Gophers could move up, obviously not right behind Purdue, but there's a chance for them to move up quite a bit because uh, there are teams that they can beat that have really good records, that have good, um, you know, uh, quality wins, non-conference um, that could, you know, help them uh, make a jump this year. You know, Wisconsin beat Marquette. Um, you know, they beat Virginia. Um, you know, Illinois has got some good wins. I mean, they beat UCLA. I mean, you know, we're seeing some teams that show potential to to – you know, then they're top 25. They've been there a couple times this year. Um, but right now, I, I like Purdue. I think Illinois is um, really taking a step back uh, with their ceiling with Terrence, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, 
you know, Terrence Shannon, he, he's uh, dealing with some legal issues right now mm-hmm. with an allegation. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Minnesota will see where they fit in the Big Ten in the next couple weeks. They don't really have a strong uh, schedule to start, um, but they're going to end up playing in the middle of this uh, Big Ten season. They'll be playing quite a few teams um, uh, that are right there behind uh, Purdue. Well, we should get a good measure of kind of where the, what kind of tier of the Big Ten they slot into with some of these early games. Michigan, Thursday night, um, home game against Maryland on Sunday. Marcus Fole will be co- uh, covering all of it as usual. Marcus, appreciate it as always. We'll talk soon, okay? All right, appreciate it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Good stuff for Marcus. And like we said, it's a big kind of slate of back-to-back games here with at Michigan, home against Maryland. Win one, win two. That'd be greedy, I think. You know, this Michigan game's still going to be hard. Maryland's not going to be an easy game. But, you know, win one, win two, you know, lose two feels a lot different. So I, I just I just feel like it's, it's an important stretch. It's an important two games to kind of see where this team is at. I think people are kind of, you know, cautiously saying, you know, hey, it's a better team than it has been. I think we want to know how much better. I don't think we learned enough during the non-conference season to say definitively that this is going to be a better team because the opponents were so collectively, you know, below the standard that most teams are playing. So I want to see what this team has. I think we're going to learn a lot more and information is always useful no matter what comes from it. Let's get to the cooler. I want to play you this Justin Jefferson quote from uh, from Wednesday's media session. He was asked again about kind of the offseason, the kind of Vikings' decision-making on quarterbacks. Um, it's a big offseason. Like I said, we talked about this a lot on Access Vikings on Wednesday. Go check out that podcast as well, please. But I want to play the full Jefferson quote to kind of let you hear it for yourself. Just like I said before, it's not really under my control. Uh, all I can control is my play and what I do out there on the field. Uh, I'm, I'm confident and they're going to make the right decision up up there to, you know, bring whoever they need to bring in in the building to throw us the ball next year. Uh, if it's Kirk, perfect. You know, if it's whoever they choose, that's not my decision. So uh, I'm always going to continue to just be myself regardless uh, and just, you know, playing my best ball whenever I'm out there on the field. Now, listen, some of this could just be Jefferson saying it's not my decision. They're, they're going to make the decision. I'm not going to try to insert myself into this decision because I'm a player. They, they're paid to make these decisions. That's kind of how it goes. But I thought his phrasing was interesting. When he says, basically, if it's Kirk Cousins, perfect. If it's somebody else, that's their decision. That tells me that he has a preference. He might not have a demand, but he has a preference. He likes Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. That bond has grown over the years. They've had a lot of success together as a, you know, a throwing and catching tandem. He respects Kirk Cousins for what he brings. And, you know, he's probably a little bit nervous about what it would mean to play with a different quarterback. I think he just wants to see, I think at the end of the day, he wants to see this situation stabilized and, you know, right. Right now, it's not stable, right? They've been going back and forth, bouncing around between all these different backups. They're going back to Nick Mullins for Sunday's finale against Detroit. Like, there's just a lot going on right now with the position that's got to be frustrating. But I think if you if you just take this for, for face value, I think Justin Jefferson has plainly laid out that his preference, that what he would like to see is the return of Kirk Cousins. Now, where it gets interesting is, what if the Vikings decide not to do that? Or what if Kirk Cousins and the Vikings can't agree, at least, on 
the terms of what that would look like if, if Kirk Cousins just wants too much to stay here, if he wants kind of that one last decent-sized contract, and he's going to be 36 before next season starts, he's going to be coming off this Achilles injury, what if he decides that, you know, I, I, I can't take like this kind of middle ground deal. I've got to have the one more deal at the end of my career, maybe go somewhere else that I think has a better window of winning. Maybe this just isn't the right combination to fit anymore. How does that then look to Jefferson when he's got a contract still to sign? He's got, you know, numbers he wants to put up, individual goals, team goals. Starting over at quarterback would be, you know, probably exciting to some degree if they got the right guy in, but could also be a decision that really takes the franchise in a different direction for better or worse. So that's that's a fascinating, interesting kind of subplot to this offseason. What not only what do the Vikings do at quarterback, but what does Justin Jefferson think about that decision? Couple more things. Go for women's basketball lost to Maryland. They lost to Iowa a few days ago, kind of getting a lesson in Big Ten play, just like the Gophers men will right now. I still think that's a good team, but they've got some growing to do as well. So interested to see how they bounce back from that. I think the efforts there, they're young still. Be interested to see what happens from there. And the Minnesota's PWHL team, the uh, the Minnesota team beat Boston three to two. They still don't have nicknames. I want to get into that with Rachel. Blount on Friday show. We're going to talk a lot more about this new um, the, the the new league that the, that that Minnesota is playing in this year. Um, the home opener is Saturday against Montreal. Just going to want to ask her a whole bunch of stuff about kind of you know where this league is at, what this how how different this is from from past incarnations of the of the league Minnesota's played in, things like that. So we'll get into that a whole lot more on Friday show. But for now, know that they won their opener uh, Wednesday in Boston, and that the home opener Saturday at XL Energy Center. All home games this year at XL Energy Center in the PWHL. That will do it for me today. Like I said, Rachel Blount coming up on Friday show to talk about that. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you again tomorrow.